The week one betting lines are up. Those are the numbers, courtesy of our friends at Points Bet. San Francisco at Detroit. That's the biggest spread. The 49ers, seven and a half point favorite against the Lions. And the Rams in the Sunday night game that we will have from SoFi Stadium. The Bears, seven point underdogs in that game. You know, it's a little bit, it's a little bit dicey for some of these we don't know who's going to be healthy we don't know who's going to be playing quarterback but hey that's why the lines move miles it's just it's it's kind of neat to see that it's already out there and if you want to if you want to uh, hedge one way or the other uh you know that you can put some money down and then you can wait four months to see what the outcome is yeah i mean anytime you know you're betting on something that's four months away especially when it's like one game in week one it's kind of like well man you know, this bet that you place today may or may not have good value um, when it comes to September 9th when the season opens or whatever that day is, I guess, September 13th um, when they play on Sunday. So, look, if people like that stuff, go on ahead. I think it's fun, at least for us right now, to be able to discuss. I'm fascinated by some of the futures bets like MVP and Rookie of the Year. You can already bet on who's going to be the first draft pick next year. But I, I guess I, I like my return my my uh, dopamine rush a little more immediate than waiting four months for the payoff. I'm not nearly as patient when it comes to that, uh, which is probably one of the reasons why it's wise for me to avoid it all entirely, but that's a different issue altogether. All right, um, Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Now, this has not yet been posted by points bet, but they've informed us that when the lines are out for all 17 games, the Buccaneers will be favored to win each game one of them that happened in 2019 the Patriots were favored before the season to win all 16 of their games and remember they were like 8-0 I think before a Sunday night game against the Ravens and the Ravens gave them their first loss and they finished 12-4 and but the Buccaneers with Tom Brady in his second year with the team will be favored to win all 17 of the games that you see there on the screen yeah, I think that their they're one against the Rams is probably going to be the closest. And look, it's it's going to be interesting to see what they do. Look, I, I think by the end of the season, the Buccaneers were clearly the best team in football. And when you return all 22 starters and then a lot of your key guys that are reserves, there's no reason to think that they shouldn't be favored in all 17 of these games. So, I mean, do I think that they're going to be able to go 17-0? No, not necessarily. But... I think that it's going to be fun to watch them for most of the year. And can they go 15 and two or 14 and three? Yeah, I don't see why that's impossible. The fact that the Rams game will be the smallest line right now, one and a half is what is expected to come in at. That's the last game before Tom Brady goes back to New England. And look, I. I would suspect that he's probably the last person on earth to be distracted by anything. He's the king of focus <laughs> and compartmentalization and doing what needs to be done now. But he's never experienced going back to Gillette Stadium, the place where he'd been for 20 years, knowing it's looming, knowing it's there. How do you set that aside? How do you focus on a cross-country trip to L.A. to play the Rams, take care of business there, and then all the way back to Tampa and get ready for that game in New England. That that it's unprecedented for him, for anyone in the NFL to to have that marker week four that's there and potentially distracting you. So we'll see what that means when they play the LA Rams. But let's talk about that uh, 
that week four game. Tom Brady made the point yesterday in response to a graphic showing him back at Gillette Stadium in his Buccaneers uniform. It's like when your high school friends meet your college friends with the, I don't know what that is emoji. I don't know how to describe it. Is it scared emoji? What is it? I would call it more of a is grimace. It, is it, like, ugh, you know? Fake, cheesy fake smile emoji? It's, I don't know. I'm, but uh, <laughs> I'm going to date myself with this one. It's like in I Love Lucy, you know, where she's like, ugh. You know, that's kind of how I, how I picture it. Wait, but you weren't even. Was Lucy even alive when you were alive? Is there any overlap? My mom might not have been alive. I know. My mom, I don't think, was alive when that show started coming on the air. So, like, you know, you watch it, uh, you know, they used to show it on Nick at Night, the place for TV hits, you know. Lucy, I love Lucy. Uh, Yeah, the, the one where she's getting the chocolates off the conveyor belt. It's classic stuff, man. They're playing the old time music for Miles. He's not even 30 yet. They're playing the old-time music. They haven't played it and in a while. And I don't want to Thank see those single-digit numbers either. Get off my lawn. <laughs> um, so, anyway, the game between the Patriots and the Buccaneers week for Gillette Stadium, it's expected to be a record price on the secondary market. And it's, it's just so funny how it's like a, a switch flip somewhere. Like my whole life up until, I don't know, 15 years ago, scalping, illegal, scalping, wrong, scalping, improper, scalping. Hey, it's cool, man. As long as the NFL can get their cut, it's great. Everybody's scalping now. You do it on a computer, it's fine. You stand outside the stadium, not fine. Do it. Do it in your phone. Hey, man, open season. So anyway, uh, so the tickets are expected to go for uh, more than $1,500 right now. The cheapest seat on Ticketmaster is $1,500. Uh, it's just crazy. And I suspect, Miles, it's only going to go up and up as the event gets closer. Oh, no doubt. Because, look, if you are somebody who rooted for Tom Brady for so many years, saw him win so many trophies, you want to come back and you want to you want to give him his due, I would expect. right? I don't feel like Tom Brady is going to come in there and that people are going to like boo Tom Brady. Why would anybody ever do that? He won you literally six trophies. So is even though he went to Tampa Bay and he won another, like they're going to honor Tom Brady probably in a significant way. On the video board, you know, with the pregame, something is going to happen to honor Tom Brady. And I really understand why fans would want to be in the stands for what is probably going to be his last time ever at Foxborough as a player. What is the most miles that you would pay a ticket to see? And what is it that you would pay that amount for? Mm, that's a really good question. And uh, I, two grand probably. And, but I would have to be like in a really good seat. I'm not just going to pay two grand just to be in the, in the stadium. Like if it's two grand and I'm like front and center for the red hot chili peppers, especially because John Frusciante's back. That would probably be Oh, John it. Frusciante. Well, absolutely. John Frusciante. Who, 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 could, who could ever spend less than, than two dimes to go see John Frusciante? You know, oh, I, I don't on. understand it, Miles. <laughs> I don't understand it, Miles. You can spend two grand to go see a group that was popular in the 80s, man, and, and, and you're still eating at breakfast buffets. Something doesn't add up here. 
I don't know. I think, and I'm making I Love Lucy references. I think I just aged myself like 15 to 20 years of the course of this show. But you know, if you're saying it like that, good. you don't understand how good that man is at guitar. All right, it's a big deal that he's back. It's a big, big deal. I'd never even heard of him. I know it's of Anthony uh, Kiedis. Is that his last yes. name? And Anthony Flea. Kiedis. Yes, and, and Flea. Flea. Chad Smith on the drums. Yeah. Beyond that, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. Um. All right. I, I don't know. I, I don't know what I would. I don't know how much I'd pay for something. I'm extremely cheap. Yeah. It would have to be something really, really great. Something really well, well, awesome. The final you know, kiss I, concert ever. What would you pay? No, I don't care. I don't care. I, that sh- that ship has sailed. I was there two years oh, ago. I mean, oh, they, they should. No, really? no. It's time for walkers and, and crutches. It's 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 not what it was. Oh, if I if I could. It doesn't matter. It, it's yeah, it matters. Trust me. I saw them when they could actually move around on those boots. It's not it's not good anymore. It really isn't. They distract you with lights and images and, and bombs. And, you know, the older they get, the more fire they incorporate into their act because it's a distraction from the fact that, you know, uh, it's it's just not spandex is not kind to the uh, to the body of a man in his 70s. That's for sure. So uh, okay. I, I don't know. I, you know, I've never seen Springsteen. And I've become a Springsteen guy. I know that that all middle-aged reporters are, you know, Springsteen guys their entire lives. Gonna say, yeah, you are a white sports writer. I, I just, but I did just discover him within the past couple of years. We went to see him on Broadway when he was doing the one-man show, which was awesome. And uh, I've been listening to a lot of Springsteen the past two or three years, so I, I'd want to see one of his legendary three-hour E Street Band conferences. Or conference concerts, not conferences. Slight difference between the two words. First three letters are the same, though. But that's what I, I would probably pay a, a lot to, you know, to be close enough to see his seventy-year-old body, not in spandex. He'll stick with you know blue jeans and uh, and a jean jacket or something. That'd probably be a good concert. If we're talking about like older people, I would say Elton John. I would spend a lot of money to go see Elton John. Probably, you know, Billy Joel, probably another one of those guys that I just want to see. I did see the Rolling Stones a few years ago, um, and I was supposed to see them last year before the pandemic. But like, you know, that, that would be another one where I would spend some good money, probably just because, you know, you want to be able to see those people before they kick the bucket. Week nine of the regular season, and I assume that there will be some demand for this ticket in Carolina. Cam Newton is back. The Patriots at the Panthers. <sighs> cam's homecoming you know that's a sneaky great game that's the same day that the chiefs and packers play with broncos cowboys as the fallback in the event that aaron Rodgers ends up in denver but let's not give short shrift to cam newton as a patriot returning to carolina the only question is whether or not he'll be the quarterback could it be the quarterback that they could have had with the eighth overall pick mac jones i'm not i'm not ready to say it's guaranteed that cam newton's even gonna play that day uh, yeah, that was going to be my question when you first brought it up. I mean, it could be Cam Newton's revenge game, or it could be Cam Newton on the sidelines rooting for Mac Jones to do everything he possibly can uh, to beat the Carolina Panthers in Charlotte. So I don't know about that one. I think it's hard to say when Mac Jones is going to be ready, especially considering who his head coach is. Like, that's just one where it's not like, you know, people are going to be able to badger Bill Belichick into being like, yeah, I'm playing mac jones you know it's just gonna happen when it's gonna happen and bill belichick is gonna be like oh well he's just just practicing better now and and everybody's gonna be like okay but like why and he's like you practice better and so i i don't know i don't know when mac jones is gonna play but that's how it's gonna turn out 
the Panthers season gets started with a visit from the New York Jets. Zach Wilson undoubtedly will be the starting quarterback. He said last weekend he needs to earn it. Look at the depth chart, Zach. You've already earned <laughs> you it. Did, you walk bro. through the door and you <laughs> earn it. The other two guys, James Morgan and Mike White, are you kidding me? All due respect to Who? both of those men. I assume that they're fine individuals, Sorry. but right. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Zach Wilson will be the starter. Here's Michael Carter. A guy regarded as one of the steals of the draft, a fourth-round running back who fell to the Jets. Here he is on Sirius XM NFL Radio talking about his new quarterback in New York. I love that. We locked in already. That's my that's my boy. And I'm just – it was – it's crazy. You know, he's a great player. Like, he's literally so good. And he's so smart. And he's just – he does minute stuff that really – that just really, like, wows you. And so, it, it just – he deserved to be um, the number one pick, if I'm being honest. Well, and hey, Chris Sims had Zach Wilson above Trevor Lawrence in his rankings, and and there is some of that that just that quality that we see from a Patrick Mahomes and an Aaron Rodgers, the flick of the wrist, fifty yard throw, and you know we saw other quarterbacks try to emulate that in their pro day workouts. They got to put their whole arm into it. Wilson, Wilson's got it. He's got that whatever it is. He's got the ability. He's got that Mahomes ability to deliver the ball accurately with velocity and with uh, a distance without that, you know, traditional crank your arm back like a catapult and let it fly. And that's going to serve him. Well, we'll see what that translates into, but uh, it's going to be exciting to see what Wilson can do for the jets. And, you know, for jets fans, it's been a long 50 years since Joe Namath sooner or later, you're going to stumble into a guy who's going to be a pretty good quarterback. The odds suggest that it's time for the jets to finally get theirs. Listen, if the Browns could find one, then probably the Jets can find one too. I, I do like, though, you know, when you get a guy who's in the same draft class, he's a running back, and he's just going on the radio, he's just gassing him up, man. You gas up your QB like that, that's fun. I really like that. So he's literally so good. Like, you don't know how good he is. You've never played with him before. You've barely been on the same field with him for five minutes. But, like, if that's the kind of connection they already have, and you're just saying, you know what, I'm gassing up my QB, I love that. I love that. Support your teammate. Are you saying that nothing can be gleaned from a three-day rookie mini camp? <laughs> yes, with no that is contact? exactly what I'm saying. Yes. And the <laughs> quarterback in a red there. jersey where he's not in danger of being hit by anyone? Uh, how about the Colts? <laughs> yeah. They haven't won a season opener since 2013. Think about hmm. that. That's now that means well. they that means they went one and zero in the Andrew Luck debut in 2012. Since then, loss, 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 loss. Week one, you know, it, it, even though the first week means nothing, there is just a little bit of a psychological blow that you take when you've had this build up for the first week and you lose the game. And they've been a pretty good team for the most part. You know, they overcome those losses. But uh, yeah, look at that dating back. So 2013 is the last year they went one and zero. Sorry. 2013 is the last year, not 2012. So still, that is seven straight years of starting off 0-1. And this year, they could end up 0-1 again. They got the Seahawks coming to town, Miles. Well, yeah, they do. And look, I, mean, I was there for that 2017 game with uh, the Rams at the L.A. Coliseum. And they had Scott Tolzien starting, and he was so awful that they had to put in Jacoby Brissett in the second half, and he'd just been there for a few days at that point after getting traded to the Colts from the Patriots. So it's an interesting thing. Look, if they start 0-1 this season, 
like I don't think anybody's going to be apoplectic unless Carson Wentz goes out there and he throws three picks and he takes like five sacks and he doesn't look any better than he did last year, last time we saw him with the Philadelphia Eagles. And he's also 0-5 in his career against the Seahawks and Russell Wilson, although one of those was a playoff game and he only played a couple of series in there. So I don't know what's going to happen with the Colts this year, but I certainly think that they could start 0-1. I'm going to go off the board for the next one because it reminds me of what Art Rooney, the Steelers president, said the other night. They haven't had a home game in week one in seven years. And this year again, on the road at Buffalo. I mean, you knew since the last season ended who you were going to play and where you were going to have to go. So at some point, we got to go to Buffalo. But do you really want to go to Buffalo right out of the gates? Do you really want to be the team that is served up to the Bills Mafia after they have a full year of (laughs) pent-up, table-jumping frustration of not being able to see their team play after everything they became last year? Do you want to be the Christians that get fed to those Lions week one? I would say no uh, if I'm the Steelers or any other team. The Steelers drew the short straw, and it really is amazing. Seven straight years now for one of the presumably favored franchises in the NFL on the road to start the season. Well, not only that, but they're in the one o'clock window, man. Like, that's a really good game to just be tucked away in the one o'clock window week one. Um, So, I mean, that's a game that I'm going to want to watch for sure. Um, and I think it's funny though, you know, you talk about like the Bills Mafia and they're, they've got pent up table frustration, right? Like imagine how many tables are going to be bought in Western New York over the course of that week just to be broken on Sunday. Whoever's in the table business, yeah, or who's not in the table business, I guess I should say, you might want to get those tables, you know, go to Costco, buy a few and just have them set up somewhere so that people can buy them because they will buy them and then they will get broken. And it's important to remember, it's not just the return to the stadium and everything is moving toward full capacity. I I thought earlier this week there could be some states where there's reduced capacity. I think it's going to be open season. Everyone knows the risks. Everyone's had the opportunity to be vaccinated. Hopefully more people will continue to do so. But it's the tailgating experience. And in Buffalo, it is unique to say the least. And that will be happening in full bloom before the game. So, yeah, I think the Steelers would probably have preferred any other game on their schedule. Of all the 17, I mean, really, the last one I would have wanted right out of the gates would, would, would be to go to Buffalo. So maybe oh. ne- maybe next year. That's something to remember next year when the schedule yeah. comes out. Do uh, they get the- do they get their home game? I'm not worried about middle of December in Buffalo if I'm the Steelers, though. I'm not worried about the weather. Uh, yeah, I, maybe, I the, maybe the weather takes a little bit of the steam out of Bill's Mafia. Maybe. I don't mean like who's going to be upset when it's, you know, still 65 to 80 degrees, you know, in Western New York in September. I don't know. But I mean, look, the, the Steelers run game has not been very good over the last couple of years. And I know they drafted Najee Harris, but like they still got something to prove there when it comes to running the football. So I don't know. I mean, maybe September is better because, you know, you, you get Ben and he's still going to be able to throw the ball and He's going to be able to throw the ball because his arm is still going to be fine as opposed to, you know, having all the reps in December. So that's maybe that's another good point, though. That's another good point. Get a marquee game on the schedule week one because we don't know how long Ben Roethlisberger is going to hold up. And I think that that's a real concern that the Steelers have found a way to gloss over as they've worked Mm -hmm. themselves into this notion that they can put it all together this year and right the wrongs of last year and somehow get to the Super Bowl. Washington got to the playoffs last year. They won the division. They have 
five straight division games to end the season. Week two, they play the Giants. And then no more games against teams from the NFC East until week 14. And there it is. Cowboys, Eagles, Cowboys, Eagles, Giants. What what a strange way to end your season. But, you know, uh, Miles, it very well could be that the schedule makers look at it and say, hey, we don't know what's going to happen in the NFC East. And it may be none of the above again. And uh, maybe it makes for an interesting stretch run if the team that won the division last year is running the easier gauntlet of its division to end the season. Well, no, I mean, they basically are in the playoff hunt throughout the season, right? I mean, if they get to that stretch and they're around 500, then they should, in theory, be able to catch somebody in the division if all you do is play divisional games through, you know, the last five games of the season. I I mean, I don't know how much I love it if I'm Washington that I don't play any familiar opponents for so long in the season. Um, but at the same time, like, that's really, I don't want to say controlling your destiny, but, you know, whatever it is, you know, you get to really have a, a real good sense of control over whether or not you make the postseason when you have that many division contests, I feel like, in the back half of the year. Leave that, pull, pull that back up if you can, because the NFC East was bad last year. This year, every team in the NFC East plays every team in the AFC West and every team in the NFC South. That does not bode well for one of these four teams going 12-4. and And Washington, which I continue to believe is the best team in the division, because they won it last year, they get the Packers. They get the Seahawks. The other teams in the division don't get the Packers or the Seahawks. Now... You know, they're going to have to play other teams in the NFC West, which which are pretty good, but they don't get the best teams. The first place team plays those best teams in the other two divisions where they don't play every team. It's it could be another seven and nine, maybe even a six and ten champion in the in the NFC East this year, Miles, because just the schedule doesn't doesn't fit well for those four teams. They're going to have some tough games. Well, the schedule also doesn't fit what you just said. I believe it would be eight and, you know, nine. Oh, that's right. That's seven right. and I'm ten or six yeah. and eleven. Come on, Mike. You know, I we got to we got to be get used to it. Well, you better. You know, we got to be flexible. We got to be docile. You know, we got to react to all the different things that are happening here, man. It's the new age. They got number linebackers are going to be wearing number 11. <laughs> you know, it's just it's the way things are now. One thing I've been trying to remind myself of when I talk about this new season, it is the first time there's ever been 17 games. It's not the first time there's ever been 18 weeks. There was an 18-week season back when you were in diapers, 1993. I assume you were still in diapers. What were you, four then? Um, uh, no, you were two. Like two. When was your birthday? And what, what, When did you turn two in October? When? I turned two in October. What day? There's another hint for you. My birthday's okay. not in Ooh, October. September. Oh, it's yeah, September. So uh, anyway, uh, there was an 18-week season then because there were two buys. And uh, so this is the second time there's an 18-week season, but 17 games. Let's go ahead and take a break. When we return, let's hear some of what Brett Veach, the Chiefs general manager, had to say earlier this week. We also have a draft coming up, and we'll be back with more PFT Live right after this. Dramatic changes on the offensive line for the Kansas City Chiefs, and for good reason. They need to protect Patrick Mahomes 
better. I discussed that topic and various others earlier this week with the man who discovered Patrick Mahomes four years ago, Chiefs General Manager Brett Veach. Here is some of our conversation. We're coming up on two weeks since the 2021 draft. For the first night, you had no first-round pick. That pick was traded to the Ravens for tackle Orlando Brown. What do you do during the first round of a draft, that four-hour marathon, and you don't have a pick? How do you keep yourself occupied? Well, yeah, so the first 10 or 15 picks are, are rather boring because, you know, you don't have a pick and, uh, you know, you know, there's no moves to be made. Uh, once you get into the teens and 20, though, you start kind of doing, you know, your number game. So every team has basically a, a percentage of players that they need to be uh, they need available to ha have a chance at, at a certain player. So uh, once we get into the 20s, we're really starting to recalculate our, our second round board and, and to see if we get the numbers that we need to have specific players that we like in that zone for tomorrow. And then um, so it, it starts off rather boring. But once you get into the 20s, um, you know, you start doing the calculations in your mind and you get with your staff. And then as soon as the last pick is in for the day and then it's it's a complete dismantling of the board and you're just restacking the board as if uh, the Friday was the first day of the draft. So uh, it starts off slow, but it, like everything else in this league, it, it, it picks up the intensity uh, pretty quick. And, and then you're on to Friday and, and um, you know, you're excited to, for us and for our situation to add two new players. I'm not looking for names, but was there any talk, any possibility, any discussions about possibly finding a way into the bottom of round one for the Chiefs? No, not not at all. Uh, simply because we exhausted those possibilities um, during, you know, the off season, and as we looked at options and what we could do, we went through that process. And then when Orlando Brown became available, um, you know, we decided to go in that direction. Uh, we, you know, certainly we wanted to address the offense line in the off season, and we were able to add a, a quality interior player in Joe Tooney. And we still were looking for uh, some tackle help and, and in particular wanted to solidify that left tackle position. Certainly went through those exercises in the weeks leading up to the draft and what it would cost to move up and um, what would be most advantageous for us, both in the short and long term. Uh, but then when the Orlando Brown trade became available, that was the direction we decided to go. And, and once we made that move, we were certainly content on, on you know, working in volume and, and just trying to focus on maximizing our picks uh, throughout the rest of the draft. The Ravens are one of the Chiefs' top conference rivals. Quarterback Lamar Jackson has called the Chiefs the Ravens' kryptonite. When an opportunity arises to trade for one of the Ravens' starting offensive linemen, do you stop and think, where's the catch here? Why are they willing to send one of their best offensive linemen to a team that they are trying so desperately to get past in the postseason? I mean, I, I don't know if I necessarily did. I mean, look, that's a great organization, and, and Eric does a great job there. And, and you know, Ozzy before him, they are always winning games and winning conference championships and division championships and, and what have you. So, um, you know, I think it's more of a situation by situation. I mean, look, I think it was made early on that Orlando would like to play left tackle, and you certainly knew of his family history there at Baltimore. And you also knew that they respected him. And then I really get the sense it was, they wanted what was best for him and the organization. It was a unique scenario. And, and then Mike, you know, you have the, the suitor angle, I mean, left tackle. I mean, there's a bunch of teams that have left tackles. There's a bunch of teams that have high picks that want to allocate those high picks and left tackle. So I think we were just in a, in a really good position in regards to 
a specific need and a fit and they had uh, a player that they wanted to help out. But again, I think you have to marry, you know, what that player is looking for with a team and their specific needs. Again, you'll have X amount of teams that already have starting left tackles. Well, he wanted to play left tackle. And then you'll have some teams that could use a left tackle, but they may be picking the top 10, top 15. Uh, so then I think it kind of narrows your suitors. So I think we just looked out with, we just had that specific need and they had a, uh, a specific player that was looking for that position. And, and I, I've heard plenty of general managers, coaches, and owners say in recent years that when you give up that first-round pick for a player, that player becomes your de facto first-round pick. The difference, though, obviously, is contractual. And we've seen this trend in recent years, whether it's Laramie Tunsil, whether it's Jalen Ramsey, Jamal Adams. Guys get traded for one or more first-round picks without a new contract on the way in. Did you try to work out a new deal with Orlando Brown? As, as part of the trade, or were you happy to say, we'll take this guy and we'll worry about the contract later? Well, once Baltimore allowed us to talk to um, Orlando and his agent and, and they, you know, granted that granted us that permission, you know, we had lengthy conversations. And, you know, one of the things we talked about was um, still the unknown cap moving forward. And, and certainly, you know, we all believe that a healthier cap is, is on the horizon. And um, we still have some things that, you know, we wanted to do and, and, uh, we just came to understanding that, uh, you know, we're certainly going to be committed to making this work long term, um, but both parties uh, would be happy to let it play out and then, you know, work off a, a structure next season when we have a little bit more clarification of, you know, what the cap will be in, in 22 and, and where we'll be moving forward. I think we'll have a lot more information. I think we'll all be able to do something that, you know, helps both sides. By the way, if you notice that sketch over Brett's right shoulder, that's actually of the original Lombardi trophy, which had both the logos of the AFL and the NFL on the front. And when you think about how iconic that trophy is, they nailed it right out of the gate, Smiles, from the very first Super Bowl, which wasn't even called the Super Bowl. Chiefs, Packers, World Championship, AFL, NFL. They nailed the trophy. They nailed it. I mean, that trophy is the trophy, all due respect to the Stanley Cup. That is the iconic sports trophy, and they got it right from the very first time they played that game. I totally agree with you. I love the trophy. I love everything about it. I love the trophy presentation, too, and the song that they play when the trophy is being walked up to the stage because it's the only time you ever hear it, like, all year. I, I love it. So maybe it's just because I'm biased because I love football, but, you know, I mean, they can keep the Stanley Cup over in hockey. I'm, I'm fine with that. Like, the, the Lombardi trophy is absolutely a perfect trophy. I totally agree with you. And the Chiefs were the team that won the last Lombardi trophy that had both of the logos on it because it was the last Super Bowl play. They beat the Vikings 23-7. to I didn't watch that game. I was four. Thankfully, that's one of the four Super Bowl losses by the Vikings I didn't have to endure. The only one I didn't have to endure, but that was the last one that had both logos on it because after that, it was the AFL and the NFL becoming the NFL. The Chiefs have been to the Super Bowl the last two years. Look, I, I have no issue with what they've done to try to make their offensive line better. They had to do uh -oh. something. They spent a lot of money on Joe Tooney. They've traded for Orlando Brown. That's their first-round pick this year, although they're going to have to pay him at some point. They, they also need to consider maybe, you know, keeping a tight end to block uh, or having a running back who isn't running pass routes. You, you got to do more than just expect that Patrick Mahomes is going to be able to run around all day and eventually find someone open, Miles. Okay, yes. But I also got to say, man, I like that they're not just resting on the fact that Patrick Mahomes is going to keep them employed. 
right? Like it's about going out there and trying to win championships. And when you look at everything that is going to be different across that offensive line, except for basically right tackle from uh, the 2020 season, I mean, Remmers had to go over and play left tackle because Eric Fisher got hurt in the AFC Championship game, so he had to do that for the Super Bowl. But I just feel like when you don't rest on the fact that Patrick Mahomes is going to keep you employed, when you go out and you make all these different moves to basically say, yes, we know we need to do something, I think you deserve a lot of respect for that because there is a quarterback who's not very happy with uh, his team right now in Green Bay where I don't think we can definitively say that each year they have gone out and you can say like, yes, they've done the thing that will clearly make them better. I mean, look at what Patrick Mahomes did right there. My God, he should not have to do that in order to try to make the Chiefs competitive. And that's basically what this entire offseason has been about for Kansas City. So I say you give kudos to Brett Veach for not just saying, yeah, I know Patrick Mahomes is going to keep me employed. We can go out and we can do whatever it is that we want to do. No, they have made a concerted effort to use uh, what they have and the, all the resources that they can to make what was a weakness a strength for them in 2021 and beyond. I love those two plays. Can you imagine if the first one had actually been completed? Oh. It would be regarded as one of the great plays in NFL history, and there's still no guarantee they would have emerged from that deficit to win the game. But that's what you have with Patrick Mahomes, that constant hope. Sims and I were talking about this yesterday. Even when you're supposedly getting blown out, when you have Mahomes – you always have a chance that he's going to find that gas pedal. He's going to make some big play, and it's going to lift the team, just like the jet chip wasp play when they were down 10 points with seven minutes left in Super Bowl 54, how that turned things around. It really is amazing, but you're right. They're not going to rest on their laurels, and they can't afford to because he ran around so much last year, he messed up his toe against your Cleveland Browns, and then that, that, that had to have affected him in some way in Super Bowl 55, and he had the surgery three days later. By the way, the Chiefs also have worked out a trade with the Vikings for Mike Hughes, a first-round pick who was regarded as kind of a mini-steal, a guy who slid for off-field issues to the Vikings several years ago. Vikings got a sixth-round pick and gave back a seventh-round pick for Mike Hughes. So that tells you he was no longer in the Vikings' plans, and now he gets a chance to uh, have a second act in Kansas City. Hey, as second acts go... I mean, you can go to Houston or you can go to Kansas City. I'll take Kansas City. I'll do respect to Houston. Uh, the barbecue is better in Kansas City, too. So, I mean, not just the team, you know. You're getting better food. Jack Stack, Joe's. That's what I'm talking about. Q39. Oh, yeah. Let's take a quick break. When we return, our draft for today, the dumbest moves of the offseason. We'll do that when PFT Live continues right after this. Arthur. There are various things that you should never do. Oh. One thing you should never do is oh. put your gasoline in a plastic bag. The U.S. Oh. Consumer Product Safety Commission recently advised folks not to put their gasoline in a plastic bag because very soon the gasoline will eat through the plastic. Even if you double bag it, it's getting through and it's going oh. everywhere. There was a... There was a vehicle that ended up on fire recently. I mean, there's no joking about that as somebody was hoarding gasoline because of the pipeline ah. hack. So in honor of the fact that, and in an effort to get the word out to anyone who may have any uncertainty about this, don't put your gasoline in plastic bags. Today's draft, the dumbest moves 
of the NFL offseason, assuming that there are no teams out there that put their gasoline in plastic bags. That would be number one. We move on now to other things that were done that maybe shouldn't have been done. Miles, I'll give you the honors. First pick goes to you. Dumbest offseason moves 2021. You're up. Okay. Uh, I, I don't want to feel like I'm a hater on this team, but like I feel like there were maybe three or four things that they've done over the course of this offseason that I could use for this segment. But I'll say this. The Raiders signed Kenyon Drake, a running back, to a deal for two years, $11 million, with eight and a half million guaranteed. Why would you do that in the year of our Lord 2021 for a running back? <laughs> I don't, I just, I don't understand. And like, I know that they tried this thing with Lynn Bowden last year where they wanted to convert him into like a flex guy where he can play running back and then wide receiver. And they think Kenyon Drake can do that, but are they still just, are they going to trade him now? For like a third round pick before he even plays a snap. So that's really the Lynn Bowden role. I just, I think that there are other ways of getting that role done than signing a running back when you already have Josh Jacobs, who's going to be your number one guy for eight and a half million guaranteed. And, and that's right. They have Josh Jacobs on a rookie contract. who's making a lot less than that. And he's their workhorse. So it makes yeah. no sense. You could find somebody for a lot cheaper. You could get lucky and get somebody in round five or six of the draft who can maybe do what Kenyon Drake would do and dollar for dollar it's going to be a better value. I have to go with a topic that we discussed earlier in the program. The Panthers trading a sixth-round pick, a fourth-round pick, and a second-round pick next year, a second-round pick when you're going to actually be able to scout in a way that you weren't able to scout this year. That second-round pick is going to have a lot of value. Plenty of great players come in round two for Sam Darnold. Why? Because they're so desperate to find a franchise quarterback, and they didn't want to roll the dice on none of the great quarterbacks in 2021 being left when they picked at number eight overall. And as it turned out, they would have had Mac Jones. They would have had Justin Fields. And I thought that this was like next level David Tepper hedge fund stuff where he, instead of paying the price to move up, which would have been a lot more expensive, you pay the price to get Sam Darnold as your insurance and also as, you know, the fact that he's on the roster, it keeps someone from jumping over you. And then you can get Justin Fields or Mac Jones. I really thought they were going to take one of those quarterbacks at number eight. So I, I just, for a team that is desperate for a franchise quarterback, I, I, I think that this investment, and hey, I could be wrong. Darnold may end up being the guy that Colin Coward thought he was going to be. I don't know if you saw that video making the rounds. Low-end Andrew Luck, high-end Brett Favre. Maybe that's what Sam Darnold will become with the Ugh. Panthers. But to me, it's, I just think that it's way too much to give up simply because they didn't want to let the board play out and get one of the rookies. He had the worst passer rating of any quarterback in 2020. Worse than that of Carson Wentz, all right? And I think everybody, you know, knows that Carson Wentz did not pass any sort of eye test last year. Look, Sam Darnold is a history of turnovers, whether it was at USC or with the Jets. I think that you could be right that uh, the Panthers could certainly be in the same position that they are currently in. You know, when they wanted to get Sam Darnold for instead of Teddy Bridgewater, they could be in the same position a year from now uh, and having to draft somebody or sign somebody else in free agency. So I, I certainly agree with you there. Uh, here's my next one. I think the Ravens trading a left tackle to the top dog in the conference is something that I'm going to shake my head over. And it's something that I literally just praised Brett Beach for. And I understand that. And I think that they did a great job, but look, you even asked Brett about this, man. Like 
when you're getting a, a guy who is on a team that's one of your rivals in the conference for, for the top spot there and you're competing with to get into the Super Bowl, it's either, well, you know what? We really don't believe in this guy or maybe you're doing something that you shouldn't quite do to help the team that's been in the Super Bowl for the last two years. So I don't know it's like, it reminds me of when the Cavs traded Kyrie Irving to the Boston Celtics. You don't trade that guy to the top competitor in the conference. You trade him to the wherever your sport Siberia is. That's where you let him go be a left tackle. And they didn't do that. They sent him to the Chiefs. They got a first-round pick for him, but we'll see if it actually works out. And if all else fails, you put him in John Kuhn's trunk. Uh, the next one for me <laughs> is – that's a joke. If you, if you weren't watching the show earlier, you really you – really, aren't going to get that one. It's that one's all in good, good fun. <laughs> Orlando good. Brown wouldn't, he wouldn't fit in John Coon's trunk. Fit. I'm fairly confident saying that you're going to, that's one of those where you have to get a bungee cord, you know, when you got something really big in the trunk and you got to hold it together. <laughs> um, okay. There it is. He will, I will find you. I will find you. Uh, okay. Um, I got to go with the Jaguars considering Tim Tebow, even if they don't sign him. And I suspect that they will. The other day, Urban Meyer tells Chris Collinsworth, hey, I told the guys, let's give it a shot. But we haven't signed him yet. Let's give it a shot. I think there's there's two reasons they haven't signed him yet. And one of them is they got to figure out what they're doing with Gardner Minshew so they know that number 15 will be available to sell all of those Tim Tebow jerseys that people are going to buy right out of the gates. And here's the one time Tim Tebow played tight end in his career. <laughs> Urban Meyer said he's got great ball skills. I'd hate to see what that play would have looked like if he didn't have great ball skills. And I have a feeling they're going to run it again so we can fully appreciate. Moving right to left in the shotgun formation, and there's the throw, and it's boom, right off the helmet. Great ball skills. That would count as a completion in electric football, so maybe he's working at a level that the rest of us aren't. I, uh, I Look, they leak it. The same day that Trevor Lawrence is going to become the new face of the franchise, they leaked that they worked him out. What, what, what's the, what's, what is that? What are, you, what are you doing? Embrace Trevor Lawrence. You don't need to dust off Tim Tebow, a guy that hasn't played in the NFL in nine years. It's a gimmick. It's an effort to sell jerseys. It's an effort to sell tickets. And, hey, Miles, I'm a firm believer. If he's on the 90-man roster, you're going to see him in a uniform. Now, it may be, I mean, in September. It may be practice squad, and he gets elevated because there's two guys a week who can move up to the active roster. We're going to see him in uniform. And here's the other side of it, too, and I thought of this during the break. Haha Clinton Dix, first round pick in 2014, was out of football last year because he had a guaranteed salary from the Bears and he just didn't play for anyone. He's participating in the Texans rookie minicamp this weekend on a tryout basis. Why not have Tim Tebow participate in the Jaguars rookie minicamp on a tryout basis? Let's see what he can do against the rookies before you sign him. It just it tells me it's preordained, it's predetermined, it's a gimmick. Anyway, go ahead. You're up. Uh, well, I, I didn't like that either, and that was on my list. And there's the other thing that I could have said right here, which is that NFL allowing single-digit numbers for, like, uh -huh. you know, defensive backs. And uh -huh. But I won't say that. I won't. I'm going to go with Cincinnati passing on Penny Sewell and drafting Jamar Chase. And I think that, you know what, Jamar Chase could be an excellent receiver. He and Joe Burrow could continue that excellent chemistry that they had at LSU. But when you've basically been spinning your wheels and trying to replace Andrew Whitworth since 2016 when he left and then went to the Los Angeles Rams for the 2017 season, you don't have that guy that's entrenched as a left tackle. Somebody like Penny Sewell, you pair him with Joe Burrow, you have your quarterback and your left tackle maybe for 10 years. And I mean, look, 
Jamar Chase and Joe Burrow could be the next Montana to Rice or Young to Rice, whichever one you want to use. But I, I just feel like when you have a chance to get a left tackle, that's something that you really probably should do, especially when your quarterback is coming off a devastating knee injury. The last one for me, and there's a bunch of different ways I could go here. The Lions trading for Jared Goff. I don't really think that was a good idea, even though they picked up probably a first-round pick to do it. The Rams using the first-round tender on Darius Williams. We've talked about that Ooh, before. Yeah. Even the Steelers bringing back Ben Roethlisberger. I think both sides are going to regret that come December. But I, I, I'll just say everything the Texans have done in the offseason. It, it was overshadowed once Deshaun Watson's legal issues arose. But everything they've done, and it all traces back to Jack East, to be frankly, comedic stylings of Jack Easterby. Just go to YouTube and you can entertain yourself for about 45 minutes with uh, uh, all sorts of different uh, oh, jokes yeah. or attempt thereat. But everything they've done, Miles, everything they've done, ex with the exception maybe of signing Tyrod Taylor, everything they've done is a dumb move. Oh, it's all been very, very head-scratching. And I would guess that Davis Mills also falls under the consideration of not too dumb either. But most of, other than that, yes. All right, let's take a break. We'll wrap up this Friday edition of PFT Live right after this. Miles, one of the things we talked about yesterday, the seven-game stretch for the Ravens at the end of the season, which features two games against your Browns, and the Browns is the Browns no more, frankly. And the Steelers, they play twice. And they play the Packers and the Rams. The only break comes against the Bengals in that seven-game stretch. Calais Campbell said, that's heavyweight battle time. That's the championship round right there. We're going to find out what we're made of real quick. That's going to be a grind toward the end. Yes, it is. That means rack up the wins. Rack up the wins when you can, Miles. No doubt. And there's that weird schedule quirk where the Browns are playing the Ravens basically two games in a row because of that bye. I'm interested to see how that works out for them because they have, uh, they have time to figure things out and re figure out what worked and what didn't. And the Ravens have the Steelers while the Browns are off. Meanwhile, in Maryland this weekend, the Preakness Stakes, 146th running. Enjoy that. We'll see you on Monday. <laughs>